This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. Today we're going to talk about two topics that are familiar to many listeners in their daily lives, art and debt. The average working artist faces not only student loans, but consumer debts as well. And you know, we're all stuck with that narrative of the starving artist. And I can't be more excited about the guest we have on today in our studio at X-Ray FM, Kathy Bird, who is a force of nature. We met at a conference and uh, immediately she pulled me down on the floor for photos, which I will put up on the show notes because they're pretty awesome. To be fair, I was dressed as Bowie, but Kathy is a curator who lost her job and entered the market in her mid-50s. She wrote to me that she went up in flames and rose, then rose from the ashes of my personal debt. So in addition to talking about some finance-related art, we're also going to talk about her own money story. Reaching thousands of followers each week, her podcast, The Fresh Art International Podcast and radio show, spotlights the diversity in the world of art, design, and film through conversations about creativity since 2011. Fresh Art International's artistic director, Kathy Bird, is a globally engaged independent curator and arts journalist with more than 20 years of experience in the field. Her writing appears in the Miami Rail, Art Papers, Art in America, and Sculpture Magazine. With more than 200 episodes to date, Bird's Fresh Art International podcast documents creative practices at the center and fringe of art scenes across six continents and the Caribbean archipelago. Listen anywhere you go for podcasts. I could just talk with Kathy forever about so many things. I'm so excited to have you in the studio. Thank you. I'm excited too. When we met in Philadelphia, I just knew that we had some future conversations. We have, yeah, I feel like there's so much to go in this. And you uh, sent me kind of a list of things to talk about. And I was like, oh my God, this is, we're a 15 minute show. I don't know how we're gonna, I want to cover all of this. But uh, so I think, I think I would love to just jump off with like both a very simple question that is also very complicated and pretty much I'm asking you to explain the universe. But like, let's talk about the relationship between working artists and debt. Well, I I love that question because I just did a special episode, a 60-minute episode on the art of capitalism. Mm. And it starts off with a group of a collective of artists and curators who established themselves as Occupy Museums, riffing on Occupy Wall Street. 
they pursued the documentation of student debt by inviting artists to share stories of their student debt. And they created this incredible room-sized installation in the Whitney Museum showing that all the debt, the student debt, the tremendous amount of it is owned by these investors, these money guys who are on the boards of major museums. This is, I, I mean, I, I saw a lot of the kind of documentation from, from this exhibit. And a lot of these have the artist's work right next to like their actual debt letters from their student loans and their, you know, credit cards kind of displayed on the wall. And I think it's a really powerful statement about kind of the loop that money money plays a role in the art world, but there's yet this kind of pervasive myth of the idea that artists must be starving, despite the fact that like art has always been a status symbol of the rich. And so it's kind of interesting to see that relationship. There aren't enough mentoring opportunities for artists to have a patron, to someone to help them to foster their creativity. I just wish there was more of that. I think my role to play in this field is to point to those efforts, the creative energies around the world at the fringe and center. In other words, the people who are really making money and the people who are still trying to figure it out and showing the value of all those levels of creative production. I just think it's so important. I personally didn't I went back to art school 20 years after my first degree. And That's a little gap. Just a short gap. <laughs> but, you know, it, it opened a whole new world to me. I, I did not get into tremendous debt because I was a grown-up by the time yeah. I went back, and I wouldn't have done that to myself and my family. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people, when they're passionate, they give whatever it takes, and they're in debt for life almost for for pursuing their passion. I I think there's something very interesting about the fact that like the average art major has gone into substantial amounts of debt and then ends up with a low salary on average, right? The average person with a degree in the fine arts ends up with a low salary over their working career. But then someone with a art history majors actually have some of the, they tend to come from the most wealth and art history majors for all the all the amount that we use them as a punchline. Art history has long been a major and degree of rich working women. Not entirely. <laughs> Not if they're in academia, because those people don't make a tremendous amount of money. The ones who publish and become known as art know, historians. Yes, the major people that will be referred to. Jerry Saltzman, for one, is is uh, an art historian and a journalist, and he is everywhere and he gets a lot of publicity and and there are other major names that are not coming to my mind right now that are people who made money by being art historians but I have to be honest there are not many art stars and there are not many art star art historians too. Well I I think what's interesting about art history is it it isn't as a career it isn't terribly lucrative but it for a long time the study of art and the understanding of art was something that was kind of a status symbol among people that came from wealth and people that that w- didn't necessarily ever have to work a day in their life, right? You know, their art history was kind of a degree that you went if you were going for your MRS and you you came from came from wealth for a lot of women. 
um, in particular. And I think that there's something to be said just from the statistics in those like, if the net worth of people that have art history degrees is so high, I know we're going to have all these art history de- majors listening to this. And just going to be like, arguing with yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. Lillian. But statistic, <laughs> but statistically, art history, people with well, art history degrees have high make, net worth. They can make it a living. Right. Because they're hired to teach. But the positions in academia are very yeah. rare. Well, and all all academia is you know is a is a challenging field. No matter no matter what field you are in, right? The, and there's a lot of organizing. Speaking of artist debt, in of unions mm. for art instructors because the adjunct is the way most artists are new. hired to teach. It's been forever, and it's it's been a challenge to actually have a living. They have several jobs in order to teach art and make art. And so Andrea Bowers out in L.A., she organized at the Otis College a a union for the instructors to demand proper pay. So it's an ongoing struggle for artists. Yeah, the adjunct the adjunct status is the I think it's the new kind of way to not give people benefits. It's right. It's it, so much of academic hiring now is hiring in these adjunct roles that are, you know, not tenure track and not providing benefits. And most adjuncts are, are not even making a living wage. Yeah. Um, you make like $3,000 a, a course if you're lucky. Which is huh. it's crazy oh. how to live on that. But still, art prevails. Yeah. Passion for making art and communicating with the world giving your message in a critically important form that many people can access is really important. So if we need art, let's let's just assume that we need art as humans, right? Let's let's start with that statement. If we need art, how do we make sure that we keep having art if we're creating a system where artists have massive amounts of debt and often don't have opportunities to get out of it if they are working artists? Well, actually I think artists, if you're driven, if you're passionate, you're going to make art no matter what. And you'll find a way. It's like my brother is a photographer. He found a way by doing commercial photography on the side, and then it allowed him to pay for his art art. Art art, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that I, I see a lot of... Um, folks that are working artists really struggle with striking the balance between commercial doing commercial art to pay the bills while also being able to produce the work that they're driven to create and a lot of a lot of creators I've seen particularly in like the comic book space as graphic novels are becoming more and more marketable they really want to work on their own kind of passion projects and their own art um and a lot of them use like patreon to fill the gap um because that allows them to take less and less freelance work on to do commercial art. Do you see that kind of like this, these micro payments is kind of shifting the field? Well, I had a conversation with Patreon Mm -hmm. in Philadelphia. And what I see their model for such is they're the most useful for people that already have a following. Mm -hmm. They don't create the following for you. They just help you monetize the following you have. So for emerging artists it's not sure they could really benefit unless they want to use it as a tip jar type thing on their page which is kind of what they recommended for me because 
I'm a niche podcast. It's not like I have a million followers yet. Yeah. It's coming up. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. I have very good podcasts. For those who are listening, we deal with a lot of issues from the real world, how art intersects with challenges to our society, including this debt challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I think it's interesting to look at. I, I think it's been it's been challenging for artists to find a way to even ask for money simply for creating the work, right? So if you're someone who doesn't do something that can be productized, like say you're a contemporary artist that, you know, comic books are easy, right? You know, not that they're really easy, but they're they're easy to monetize in that like you sell them and people buy them. Um, but so Patreon, you know, is is helpful to kind of pay when you're creating work but not putting out products. But what do you see for artists that are creating work that are really challenging to productize? What are the ways forward? Is it grants? Is it is it just, you know, doing dishes to pay the bills and then making it on the side? All of those. All of those. <laughs> but definitely grant opportunities. There are a lot of residency opportunities around the world. There are if you, you need to be open to travel to go and, and experience these places. And you will also cultivate new communities for selling your art if you do that. You'll also expose yourself to new collectors and new artists and new opportunities to show your work. I think some of the ways that I've seen artists monetizing is by creating what objects that you can buy mm -hmm. print uh, des pl placing their designs on bags and t-shirts and stuff but that's there's a limit to that yeah so uh, I think you just have to piece it together the best you can keep going focus and dedicate yourself the time you need to produce your work and continue to grow your work so that you need to be informed Artists need to go out to the galleries. They need to see what's showing. They need to introduce themselves to curators, read the critiques, follow the shows, talk to people, do studio visits yourself to learn from the master artists. Oh, that sounds exhausting. What? Well, How do you, you have know, time left to make art? <laughs> you, well, I'm just saying you can be inspired to make your art by seeing what someone else is doing. And they might give you an idea for a residency and they might become your mentor. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really important opportunity that many artists don't take. We work in isolation. Artists work in isolation. I don't. We do, though, when we're mm -hmm. producing as podcasters. We spend a lot of time thinking, planning, editing and we're not out there in the community. So we have to, I have to allow time. Mm -hmm. I have to make it part of my life to participate. So something I ask every guest um, is, what is the best financial decision you've ever made? And what is the worst financial decision you've ever made? Oh, that's a good one. Let's see. Well, when I... When my position was eliminated, I found myself with a house, a mortgage, a car, car payment. I had a credit card debt. And what I did is I just looked through everything and I decided, well, I'm going to liquidate. I know it sounds terrible and people that don't do it, don't do it. I liquidated some of my IRAs so that I could pay off all my debt, completely debt free. I sold my car, I sold, short sold my house. I completely eliminated 
my debt and I became a, I called myself a creative nomad mm -hmm. or a cultural nomad. And I lived, uh, my car actually I kept until I had an accident and a few months later. <laughs> then, then I decided that was a sign from God that I was meant to just fly around the world and use that money instead of a car, go spend three months in Barcelona or Berlin or wherever, and that's what I did. But that was a good decision for me to completely eradicate debt from my life and make a resolve to never be in debt again. And that is where I am today. Oh, yeah. And I also accepted unemployment. Mm. I had never even imagined myself doing that. I'd never lost a job. I was grateful for it, but I saved the money that I got on unemployment. I came out with a savings of over $20,000 after unemployment. That's now, awesome. I don't know anybody who has that story to tell. <laughs> Usually it's maxing out all credit cards, yep. using all the unemployment money, everything just to survive, to try to find another job. I kept looking, but I set a budget for myself what I could afford for lodging, travel, food for every month, and I stayed within that budget for two and a half years until I found a job. And I did not get into debt, and I'm still not in debt today. That's awesome. I Do you think that it was a big... So, like, obviously, you had debt when you were working, and kind of you were existing in kind of the typical idea of, like, oh, I have a job, and that'll keep paying me. And you were in debt because you had a, a car payment and a mortgage. Did you have a big mindset shift when you ended up losing your job? Was it an identity shift? Oh, yeah. I didn't know who I was. Mm. I, I didn't have a, a title anymore. I didn't know where I was going to represent my my skills and experience because I was in my mid-50s and I was competing with recent grads who were hungry for new opportunities. And 55, people don't necessarily think that's somebody who would be specialized in contemporary art, but I am. And I'm really good at it. So it was like an earthquake. Mm. I was I was devastated. I had no idea what to do. Uh, and so I... I just went through the process of grief and all that. And do you, do you think that helped? That process helped you just decide to like radically shift the way you were approaching your finances to unburden yourself? Well, I mean, I figured the finances I had resolved by uh, within four months of nice. when I lost my job, I cleared the deck. And then uh, I paid off my car. That's what I did so that I could have a car but not have a payment. Mm -hmm. I, I just couldn't have any monthly payments. I also did, like I said, I had a minimum, uh, a maximum of 400 a month I would rent anything for. Oh, nice. Or else stay with family. Clearly not friends. living in Portland. <laughs> no, I was in Barcelona. I was in Berlin. I was in uh, Chicago. I did, what I did is I claimed five artists that I would become their personal curator because I wanted to have continued activity in the field. And so I would go and stay with them for a week each one a week or so, and I would go through their whole portfolio with them, and they their artist statement, all their slides, help them plot uh, an action plan for how they were going to, they were all um, at the edge of emerging, just past emerging, but not completely, you know, uh, seasoned. Mm -hmm. So I helped them, I helped set them on course for their own careers. And that kept me feeling relevant. Mm -hmm. I think that's important when your identity is 
so wrapped up in your work for so long, which is just like a a, a symptom of late stage capitalism, right? Like yeah. we tend to really link our own personal value to our work, which is complex and challenging and maybe not the greatest for us and can be really devastating when you kind of lose that identity. Um, so I, I think that's kind of an interesting way to kind of keep that identity going. And it, it sounds like being debt free was really important for you to be able to kind of think about things in a different way. Yeah, I had these dreams of waking up in a ditch with homeless guys. I mean, that was how at the beginning, all I could see was I'm going to be and I had no reason to have that dream. But it was every night I woke up in a ditch. I, had, I was truly homeless. But I never needed to feel that way because I had such a great support system of my friends and family who were all welcoming me to live with them. And and I did occasionally, a few weeks at a time, just a stopover. Um, but the idea for me is by going through that process, relieving myself of that financial burden that mm-hmm. hangs over everyone's head that has bills every month. Eliminating that left my mind free to figure out who I am now. What can I learn from this? What What can I learn I love the opportunity to learn something new. So at the end of 10 months of crying and ranting and exploring and helping other people, then I launched Fresh Art International. Nice. From a park bench in Brooklyn. We call I call that um that dream of waking up in a ditch. I call that my inner bag lady. And she makes a lot of irrational decisions where like the numbers don't line up, but she still convinces me that like next month, despite all the support and the savings I have, that I'm going to be destitute and eating cat food out of a tin. You know, that's oh, my inner bag lady. Because if you have loud. cats, you'd readily have the cat food on no, hand. Actually, except that I'm vegetarian, so I probably wouldn't, but you know. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> uh well, this is a really interesting story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Is there anything you want to add for our listeners? I guess I would say money and other things aside, do what you love and let your passion drive you and focus on achieving the highest level of whatever you choose to do and the money will be there. That is an excellent note to end on. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to find your stuff, where do they go? Freshartinternational.com or anywhere you go for podcasts. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. It's thank been you. awesome to have you in the studio. Super fun. Thanks. Just a quick reminder that we're on a mission to get to 50 reviews and 100 ratings in iTunes before the end of the year. Right now, we're at 11 reviews and 40 ratings. It takes about three minutes to leave a review, so please help us out. That wraps our show for today. Our producer is Will Romy, and today, Amalia Boyles is our fill-in producer. Our intro music is by Aaron Parecki, and I'm Lillian Kerbake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.